This is Brian Kurtz, a titan of direct response marketing as a teacher and a student. And you're listening to the Inspiration Place podcast with Miriam Shulman. Today's episode is sponsored by The Artist Incubator. If you're wondering how to skyrocket your success as a professional artist, step by step, and if you're ready to start investing in your art career, you're in the right place. I've done it and I can show you how to do it too using the passion to profit framework. To learn more, go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz. That's B-I-Z. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, this is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 77 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so thrilled that you're here. Today, I've invited a guest expert in direct response marketing because if you want to make a living selling your art, you need to learn how to market it. We're also going to dive deep into the importance of relationship building as that's a cornerstone in any successful artist's career, really any, any successful career, right? And no matter what niche you're in. Any successful life. <laughs> Wait, you're not supposed to be on yet. I haven't introduced you. In this episode, you'll discover why direct response marketing is critical for marketing art what the 40-40-20 rule is and why it matters, why building and nurturing relationships builds a business that lasts a lifetime. And finally, we are going to chat about the power of masterminding. So let me officially bring on today's guest. Today's guest is the bridge connecting the bedrock fundamentals of direct response marketing to state-of-the-art strategies, tactics, and channels of today. His book, Over Deliver, distills his expertise from working in the trenches over almost four decades to help those readers build a business that maximizes both revenue and relationships. If you have a vision and a mission in life, it's your responsibility to share it not just with dozens of people, but with as many people as you can. So if you're an artist looking for more exposure and celebrity, this is going to be your playbook to market your art. In the world of direct marketing, today's guest has seen it all. I mean, we are bringing in a big player in this niche. And with almost four decades working with some of the biggest names in the who's who in marketing. And then he built a second career helping others build their businesses with direct marketing, educational, and coaching services, including his masterminds. So... Can I talk yet? No. Oh, you're, not sorry. you're not even supposed to be here. You're like backstage. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> During both careers, he has been a serial direct marketer with a foundation in the eternal truths, written like a true copywriter, and fundamentals of direct response while being committed to over-delivering. Please welcome, now you get to come on, please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Brian Kurtz. 
Hi, Brian. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. That was a really nice introduction. I was getting, I was getting antsy because you were going on. Let, let me long. tell you what your team sent me was like three times as long. I was like... I know. I wanted to give you choices. Yeah, but... You know. Oh, got it. I was like, That's why did okay. he say you know, four decades so many times? Like, okay. Well, it's a long time. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, when I talk about being the bridge between the fundamentals and what's state of the art today, that's just a justification for my age and that people will maybe listen to me once in a while. That's kind of where that goes. Got it. Okay. I, by the way, I love your accent. It just makes me feel so it's at home. It's New York, yeah. It, no, yeah. it's New Jersey. That, to say talk yeah. again. Talk. <laughs> there we go. I'm from New Jersey too. Where in New Jersey did you grow up? Well, I grew up just across the border in New York, but it was almost oh, okay. New Jersey, in Suffolk, oh. New York, but I went to college in New Jersey. Oh, got it. Okay. My and I lived in New Jersey for a good, you know, 16 years before I moved to Connecticut. I'm a Jersey guy. I am. I mean, if you went to Rutgers, yeah, yeah I'm from Teaneck. So that's like okay. the top of the turnpike. Yeah. And, and my sister I went to Teaneck. Rutgers. Yeah. So Brian, just like we were chatting before I came on, I loved your book, which was recommended to me from a friend of the show, Michael Roderick. We were sitting at lunch and we went around the table and each had to say what book made a big impact on us. Wow. And he recommended yours. Wow, that's that's great. Wasn't that? So then Yeah, I, it's like Roderick's a great guy too. He he really is. So I will link also his episode in the show notes. That was a really good episode. That was from 2018. Mm-hmm. So I read your book, but what was really interesting was so the first half or first three quarters was basically about marketing, a lot of stories. And we're definitely going to talk about that today. But then the last part was about having what you called intentional, did you call them intentional lunches or intentional dinners? Intentional dinners. That's part of chapter 10, which is playing the long game. Yeah. Okay. Which is so interesting because that was basically what I had been doing with this lunch where Michael suggested you. So we came full circle and I just love that whole concept. Would you explain to my listeners what these intentional dinners are? It's so simple that it's crazy that I even had to put it in my book and explain it. But the key word is intentional because everybody had, you have to eat, right? And, and you're not going to not eat. So if you're going to eat with a bunch of interesting people, why not set it up so that there are many different kinds of exploratory ways to get into, into some depth with all the people around the table? So at boardroom, we, they call the boardroom dinners at boardroom. And at boardroom, I, I hosted 150 of them. Mm. And they were all with Marty Edelston, who was my mentor and the founder of Boardroom. And basically what they were, were, you know, we, we had a newsletter that covered all sorts of information in health and finance and consumer information. We would get in taxes and we would get experts every month to come to the Four Seasons restaurant in New York in a private room. We'd get anywhere from, you know, 15 to 30 people around one long table. And that's important one long table. Everybody can see each other everywhere on the table. And Marty and I, we never knew who was coming each month. One month we might have three doctors, the next month we'd have none. Then the next month we'd have an alternative medicine doctor and a guy who's been in medicine for 50 years. And of course we put them next to each other so sparks would fly. So Marty and I would spend time before the dinner setting up the table. That's very important. You set up the table so that you think hey, this person, and you look at their bios, you read their bios, every one of them, and you put people, and I still do this in my masterminds, like I know what everybody's interested in. 
So they don't know. And before you get too deep in this, because I love this topic, but I just want to make sure our listeners know why we're talking about this. So Gertrude Stein is like my mother of intentional dinners, the way you call it, right? So these people who had these great art careers, Picasso or the Impressionists, Nobody ever did it alone. They always did it. You always hear about, oh, all the Impressionists were chatting at the cafe or they were hanging out in in Paris at Gertrude Stein's apartment. So that's why I put together that lunch with Michael Roderick where I learned about you and why I think it's so important for artists, whether they are building an arts community or any kind of business, whatever kind of business you are, to start surrounding yourself and creating these experiences. And the only way to be part of it is to be the one who organizes it. Yes, exactly. And then you take it the next step, which is the intentionality of it, of putting people at certain parts of the table that you take control of, get all the biographies in advance, and then you do a little card for each one and you read them. Like I, as you read my bio, I take all of those bios, I walk around the table behind them and, and around them, and I, I read their bios. I might ask them a quick question at that point, but not usually. And I just basically brag about all the people in the room. Then I get back to my spot at the table. I'm at the tail and Marty's at the head. And I would say, okay, now it's time for you. You know, you've been placed at the table with people that you have nothing in common with and that you will hate completely. <laughs> so mingle during dinner. And I know that everybody is, is set up in a really neat place. Yeah. In fact, I even had weird things where one time I had two people with the same last name, not related put them next to each other just for the hell of it. But, you know, you can do anything. But sometimes you read in their bio, one guy, I had one guy who was an advocate for autism and another woman who worked as a hospice nurse. And they're very different, but they're not, you know, the way you care for people. So I, I always made connections like that. Then you have dinner. And then after dinner, we used to just pass the mic. We had a mic with, with a little sound system. wasn't extravagant. You know, when everybody is talking about, I don't know if it's going to be on video, but I have my thumb and, and index finger three inches apart. Everybody is an expert about this much. Now, some people at the dinners ended up being an expert about this much. Now my hands are way wider. And then you have to shut them up after, you know, five or 10 minutes. But everybody is an expert about this much. And by going around the table and letting them share something, that's new and big in their world, what you end up with is 15 or 30 or as many people as you have. And you try to get around the whole table. Dinners would go to 10, 30, 11 o'clock sometimes. Every dinner was the best boardroom dinner ever. The one tonight is the best boardroom dinner. Then you get to the next one. This will be the best boardroom dinner because it's an assembly of people that will never be together again. And we're going to share things that we've never shared before in this forum. And then it's the best boardroom dinner. So then you have all the discussions. It's just everybody's like falling in love with each other. And then I say, you know, you you can take people's business cards, but you don't have to. We're going to then, after the dinner, we're going to send out a sheet with everybody's name and address. If anybody wants to send anything for the package, you have a book, an article, something you talked about tonight that you want to share, get it to me. You all have my address. And then we would accumulate. And sometimes like we get like, four books from guests. So the package was like this big box. And sometimes we only get, you know, a couple of things. And then we always throw in some boardroom books. Like when I do it now, I'll throw in my book or I'll throw in a book from a direct marketer. You can do this at any level. You don't have to go to the Four Seasons. 
One thing you got to do though is pick up the tab. I mean, I was going to ask you that because I don't do that. I do a Dutch treat. What are your thoughts on that? You know, you can. I think a Dutch treat is fine if you don't have the money or you don't. You know, you feel like it's a little bit of extravagant. Yeah, it's not so much that I don't have the money. I just found that people are bad at committing unless they've paid for it. So that's true with a mastermind and that kind of thing. I think for a dinner, and and we follow up and make sure they show up. I don't know. That's a good question. My opinion is that I think you really should pick up the tab if you're organizing it. And there's another thing in my book, I call it the six person intentional dinner, which is a smaller version. Whereas if you're an artist or a writer or something, and you're at a conference or a seminar or something like that, look around and see if you see, you know, five people that you'd really like to have dinner with, because they're going to be, they're captured there because they're at a seminar. And I'd always pick out five people and then you have to make sure you have a restaurant with a round table in a quiet part of the restaurant. And by the way, the boardroom dinners or the intentional dinners need to be either in a private room or in an area that, you know, you can control the noise level. You can stay, it's kind of intimate and, you know, sometimes you don't need a microphone, but it's better if you have one. And so the six person intentional dinner has to be at a round table in a quiet part of a restaurant. I had two friends, Ramit Sethi and Michael Fishman. They would have one once a month and Ramit would invite two people Michael didn't know. Michael would invite two people Ramit never met. And then they had six people and then it became one conversation the whole evening. So you have to have some questions set up. Some of the things that, you know, you do just like you did your, your yeah, with the books. The yeah. Yeah. Which is great. I had a great reading list. And then I do something similar to you where I do two things. One is I like people to know ahead of time who's coming so I send a list with the bios and sometimes I'll even That's throw good. in like, like their LinkedIn account link so they can pre-stalk people. Right. And they really enjoy that. So I do that ahead of time. And I also do a post send with the bios and how to get in touch with people. And then if there was like that one time with your, where your book was mentioned, I basically sent a list of all the books that people had recommended to the guests. So now let me ask you a question. Do you send an email or, or physical mail? Oh, that's such a good question. Okay. Let's, let's talk about that. I have done both. So yeah, um, physical mail for this is so much better. You know, email is such a, it's, it's powerful if it has links and stuff. Yeah. But boy, if you have a piece of paper, I tell that to students when I do a, a thing for career day, I always have paper and a paper clip. And I right, say, just teach them what paper yeah, is. Yeah, I, I teach them what paper <laughs> is. And I say, you know, how many people follow up on an interview after the interview? And they all raise their hand. I said, how many people follow up by email? They all raise their hand. And then I say, you know, this is paper. Here's a paper clip. And what if you, instead of that, sent an article or something that you discussed in the interview, or you sent your favorite book that you mentioned, and you sent it to the person you interviewed with who didn't know the book, and you send it in a Federal Express envelope with a handwritten note on the front, instead of an email, instead of a cover letter, I don't know, I have a feeling they're going to open it and think that that's, that's all about differentiation, which is true in marketing. People who've been listening to my podcast for a while, they know I do talk about the postcard. And I actually, I call it the postcard, but I prefer to put it in an envelope. Yes. Not to treat it like third class mail. It's worth it. It's yeah, worth I it. think if you're, if you're mailing to a large list, and I'm sure most of the artists don't have huge lists. No, they I don't. Think, yeah, so I think that the extra expense for first class over third class is well worth it. If, assuming that the list was curated in the right way. My list is now, 
you know, maybe seven or 8,000 people. And it's an email list, basically. And I, I, I blog every Sunday. But when I have an opportunity to send something in the mail to somebody after an interaction through email or something, I just jump at it. I, I wrote a blog post, I think it was last week. It was called Christmas Cards in July. And it was all about, you know, sending something that it doesn't have to be to everybody. Because remember, a list, not everybody in the list has to get the same thing. No, and I would challenge you on that. To my list size for my, not for my art collectors, but for my art students is between nine and 10,000. Mm-hmm. And for one of my recent promotions, I actually created a PDF out of the sales page and I put that in the mail to 100 people. But I segmented based on who I thought right. would be most likely to want that offer. And there, was, there were several people who bought from that mailing who weren't even in the funnel. So it just shows like that, yeah. the power of that. If you can do that, that's amazing. And the fact that you use the word list segmenting. Before we get into that, I just want you to define direct response marketing, just in case there are people listening who don't know what that means. Right. So direct response marketing, well, the reason why I say direct response marketing and not direct marketing is that since this internet thing caught on, and I think it's going to catch on even more in the future. You think? I think. Um, (laughs) But, you know, being a dinosaur from 1981, where it was only direct mail and print and TV and radio, I didn't have a lot of media choices. So, you know, the internet is incredible. What's happened over time is that people define direct marketing now as direct mail. And it's not. Direct marketing is still direct marketing, but I use direct response marketing just so nobody gets the wrong idea. But direct response marketing or direct marketing is measurable marketing. It means that when you buy a Facebook ad, when you do a direct mail campaign, when you do a radio spot, you pay for it, and then you have to get your money back. Now, I'm not all about the money. I'm willing to take a loss. In fact, when I was at Boardroom, we used to take a huge loss on the upfront marketing for our newsletter, Bottom Line Personal, because we knew based on the renewal rates and the cross-promotion of other products we would sell to them, mostly books, we knew we would make the money back within six months, a year, or two years. And we went out further as time went on because we had a lot of cash in the bank after a while. But the point is that direct response marketing, it's media that has to pay for itself by some criteria that you decide. Now, maybe you have to break even on the first sale because you you don't have a lot of cash. That's doable. Maybe you have to break even and you can't buy media because you're not going to break even because your first product doesn't cover the cost. You don't know what the first year is going to yield from that person the lifetime value, as we call it. In that situation, maybe you want to do an affiliate mailing. You're still paying for it, but you're not paying out of your pocket. What an affiliate mailing is, if you and I had lists that were good for each other, I would go out to my list, recommend you, your products, your services, any orders you get, I get half. How that works in the artist world is if you team up with a gallery and you give them a commission. That's affiliate marketing. That's so affiliate that's, marketing, that's affiliate sure. marketing. It's the same thing. But the other thing I suggest that they do is that if you're putting on a show, if you team up with a nonprofit like the local junior league or the Humane Society and you offer them 20, 30, 40, even 50% of your sales in trade for them emailing and mailing their list about the show. That's affiliate marketing. That's affiliate marketing. I'll go back even further because I'm old. 
In the 60s, you had things like Reader's Digest, AARP, American Association of Retired Persons. And they had a, new, a magazine called Modern Maturity and they had those other things. That business blew up when they started selling insurance. It wasn't AARP's insurance. It was some, it wasn't State Farm, but it was some big insurance company. The envelope came, you're, I'm, a, I'm an AARP member. I get Modern Maturity. It's AARP in the corner card at the return address. It's personalized and you open it up and it's AARP endorsing an insurance company that is affiliated. That's affiliate marketing in the 1960s. So it's funny that, I, and again, I have to be careful with this because I end up being grandpa at picnic. I say, you whippersnappers, you didn't know. Back in the day, we did affiliate marketing and direct okay. mail. By the way, Brian, a lot of my listeners are our age. I have listeners who are 72. A lot, right. of, a lot of my students are in, my, in the 70s because I teach art and a lot of people put off Right, they're Those painting in later. Yes. Yes. So I have a very large portion of my audience is well, I'm one is of them retired. Too. Right. I'm not retired. I'm my definition of retirement. I'm never retiring, are you? I'm never retiring. Okay. Perfect. Defini- my definition of retirement is you retire from the things you don't do well, you retire from the things you don't want to do, and you retire from people you don't want to hang around with anymore. Oh, I love that. Based on that, I'm retired. But I'm sixty one. I am really into what I'm doing. I think that direct marketing is what turns me on because it's not just measurable advertising. You're getting feedback on everything you're doing. Like if I wrote a sales letter or I do an email campaign to my list and it it sells well or doesn't sell well, I could tell you that it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. But unless I get response that pays for it, I didn't do that well. And I, you know, so you're getting this unbelievable feedback all the time. It's an amazing area of marketing where you can test really minute things that are important, not minute, but whether you can test price or you can test headlines on a sales letter, you can test envelopes, you can test subject lines, and you have to be very scientific about it. So the other thing that I'll leave with you on, on this definition is that in, I think in 1923, Claude Hopkins wrote a, a great book called Scientific Advertising. I recommend it. Great book. And in my first book, I profiled some stuff from Claude Hopkins. Here's a guy in 1923 who's working in an ad agency, probably on Madison Avenue, and he understands that there's a way to get response, read the response, and make advertising pay. So direct marketing wasn't popular. When I was in college in 1978, I read a marketing book and there was like, it was like two lines about direct marketing in 1978. And now there are programs in direct marketing. I taught a full semester of direct marketing. I went back to Rutgers and taught a semester of direct marketing in 1989. So it is really, to me, there is no other marketing. And you don't need to have a hire a statistician, by the way. I mean, if you get big, maybe that's something you want to do. But in terms of like artists who are solopreneurs, and you're sending out, and your direct marketing is simply you sent out an invitation to your show. You will be able to measure it by how many people come up to you and say, thanks, Miriam, for the invitation. Because it makes a huge difference. In one of my shows back in September... This one woman who is an avid art collector and buys from everybody at the show every year, I was the only one who sent her an invitation. And she probably wouldn't even have known about it had I not invited her. So not only did she come up to me and thanked me for the invitation, but she dropped a few grand on my artwork. So, Excellent. Like, yeah, exactly. So 
it works. It, it does. 100% and, works. And people, they don't feel bothered. They love getting things in the mail, especially right. now. Yes. There's, there's no spam filter at your front door. I always say the least crowded inbox is the one you grew up with. Yes. And that, that mailbox at the end, it's, it's less crowded. You're not competing with as much. And if you do awesome, and then if you don't do a postcard, but you do an envelope and you do a little excitement, you're going to stick out way more than anything. And it's a big differentiator. I'll, I'll just say one other thing about multi-channel marketing, which is one of the chapters in my book. I just found out today. So I had, I just launched a, a virtual mastermind to my list and it was, you know, it's like a $1,500 a year or $150 a month thing. And it's a couple of calls a month and we send out a physical package once a month because it's very important to have physical product. And I found out that we did a little Facebook campaign on the side. This was all to my email list. But we did a Facebook campaign that were people who matched my list who then got a Facebook post or something. And I just got a reading on it. And we spent like $200 on Facebook. And three people ordered my program, Titans Accelerator, which is what, $4,500 on a $200 spend. Now, those three people are already on my list. But who's to say if they still would have ordered, they ordered on Facebook, but they also got the mailings. But by having those things work together, and you know what? In, in big companies, you always want to get what they call attribution. That's a big thing in direct marketing. If you watch infomercials on TV, like with Proactive and stuff like that, that's the TV show. But then you can go to the mall and there's a kiosk for Proactive. You'll get a direct mail package for Proactive. And you don't know which one. You may order on, on one of those, but you don't know where the trigger was. That's why don't be afraid to show the same artwork or the same yeah. image, whatever it is you're selling on Instagram, Facebook, your email, on the postcard, all these things. The more they see it, the more they like it. Right. And they, don't, they don't even necessarily remember that they saw it in all those places, but each time they see it, they like it better. Yeah. The danger, of course, is that you have to pay for some of that media, like if it's direct mail or TV or radio, you can get into a situation where you don't know what you're getting. You're getting enough orders to pay for everything, but you don't know if that's doing its duty. So then you need to do that isolated by itself just to make sure it's pulling its weight. And that's, what, that's a big thing because it, it's gotten over the years with this internet thing. I can't believe this internet thing. Um, <sighs> it gets so complicated because you've got all these different channels, but that is not a reason to not be multi-channel. So right. I'm trying to give both sides of that. I mean, I have a chapter in the book about customer service and fulfillment, which is basically a marketing function. Yeah. You know, it's not the first order. It's the second, third, and fourth order. If you're an artist and someone comes to your opening from a postcard, they don't buy anything, staying with them. You know, don't just invite them to stuff. Send them some content. Send them an email with a blog. Keep them in engaged because it's an episodic event when you're going to go buy art. Just sending them when you do an opening, you got to talk to them in between. I'm, I'm making jokes, but the internet is so exciting for someone like me. And a lot of people I grew up with in direct mail in the 80s and 90s kind of gave up when the internet came along. It was like too involved, too confusing, too much. For me, it was confusing and it was a bit much, but I knew I had a lot of skill. I had a lot of skill in direct mail and, and space and radio and TV. How could I use that? That's what I talk about the bridge. But to get there, I had to go to school. I'm in a mastermind group with some of the best online marketers in the world. I'm basically the dumbest guy in the room. 
That's why I said, as, as the stinger, I said, I'm a student and a teacher every single day. And if you can stay that way, and you know, artists are great ab about this. I mean, they can teach art. They are going to be students of art. They're going to change their art. Same with marketers. But the people that gave up, they gave up. And mm. I didn't give up. I'm not the only 61-year-old doing online and offline marketing and using the principles, but I'm definitely in a bit of a minority. There aren't that many of us that really could stick with it. But there are, there are some, and I gravitate to those people, but I really gravitate to the 20 and 30-year-olds. By the way, I wanted to let you know that I do have room inside my Artist Incubator program. If you want to turn your passion for art into profits, but you're lacking a solid strategy or a winning mindset, I can help you. If you've been listening to this podcast and you found my tips helpful, then maybe it's time to take the next logical step and work with me on a deeper level. The Artist Incubator Program is for artists who are serious about earning a living from their art. I'll consider applications from those who are just starting out, but you have to be ready to be fully committed in order to grow your art business. There's no fee or commitment to apply, and those who qualify will get a free live strategy call with me. Everyone else will get a set of personalized recommendations sent to you by email. So you win no matter what. To apply, go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz. That's shulmanart.com forward slash B-I-Z. Now back to the show. Okay, so here's the 40-40-20 rule. And if the numbers are a little off, it doesn't matter. This is what it is. Any direct response campaign, we know what direct response is now. Thank you for letting me define it for like a half hour. <laughs> right, right. right. The 40-40-20 the rule says that any campaign depends on 40% of the campaign for the success of the campaign depends on the list, the, the, the audience. 40% depends on the offer, price, premiums, all the stuff. And 20% would be the creative and the copy. Now, here's the key. The fact that the copy is 20% doesn't mean it's half as important to the other two. Right, but first of all, that's really good news. Let me put that into artist terms. So the first 40% is really, who are you showing your art to? Who is the and it's audience? Actually 41, let's make it 41%, yeah. 41, 39, 20, because the list is absolutely the most important. The most important thing is your list, who you're sending your emails to, who you're sending your invitations to. And even if you're in front of what Brian would call a cold audience, but we would call like if you're basically showing up at an art show, who is showing up at that art show? If you're a cat painter, and you're at a dog show, that's not so good. No. Uh, right? It's better no to be- No creative's going to save you. Basically, if you have the right art for that audience, that is the most important thing. The second thing that Brian's saying is the offer, meaning how much are you pricing for what they're going to get? That's the offer. Would you agree, Brian? Price is more really, than that, it's probably the most important, but it could be a premium. It could be- that you get two for one. It could be that you, you know, you get a series. So it's whatever offer you want to make. But in the case of art, it's probably price 
being the most important. But yeah. Right. And then if you have an art class, your offer is like, well, how many classes is, is it? Get a free class if you come to three and blah, blah, blah. You know, exactly. yeah. So the offer is like, how do you make it enticing? What's the bonus? Like, okay, you're doing a portrait. Are you including a hundred holiday cards for them with the portrait you painted on it? That would be right. like your offer. And then the last thing is like, the sales messaging. So why I say this is good news for artists, so there's a lot of artists in my audience who struggle with writing copy and they, they won't even make the offer and send the email because they get their panties in a bunch about the copy. But what you're saying, Brian, is the most important thing is that you're sending that email message to the right person and you're offering them the right thing. Would you agree right. with that? Yes, I do. But I'm now, now I'll but, take the next step. But, no, let's take the next okay. step. You were right. right. You were right. right. But the next step, the key is like in the online world, that most online marketers, if they have a good list, let's say they have an affiliate list, someone's going to sell their product, their offer is decent, but their sales page is like the creative and the copy is like a red arrow pointing to a red box by me. You're going to make some sales. I just did a presentation at a big online marketing event, and the title of it was, the creative is the least important part of your promotion until it's not. Because then, if you've got the list and the offer set up, then the creative is the most important thing. Because you can get some sales, but you can then hire a copywriter. If you can get somebody to express what you want to express in the right way, then you will take that list and offer and multiply it by way more than you ever imagined. And that's would get, and I, I, even not just artists, I mean, people in marketing get unnerved by that. I have to hire a copywriter? How do I do that? The copywriters that I know, I kind of look at what they've done in the past, what media they've written for. You can get involved with copywriters at all levels and set yourself up. If you're going to let them do it, you still have to be involved. Actually, the best copywriters I've ever met, what they are, are fantastic interviewers with incredible curiosity. 100%. Like if you were going to do a package, then you probably can write it yourself. But if you were going to do, let's say you haven't written much, but you, you know your art better than anybody, but you, you're afraid to write, you're afraid to do something. The copywriter can play the role of interviewer and getting what's in your brain. You know, I'm going to get Miriam's brain and get it on the paper, then bring it back to you. And then you can look at it and say, wow, that got my voice. That was really good. So there's a lot of different ways. Like you don't go to the copywriter and say, do me. No. Just do it. No. So don't be intimidated about the creative. Get the list right. Get the offer right. And then start thinking about the creative. And, you know, there are people that can help you with that. And we're going to link to all the other episodes I've done with copywriters. So I've had Laura Belgray. I forget if she's coming on before or after this episode. So either way, either way, either it'll be linked or it'll, it's a coming attraction for you. Lacey Boggs copywriter, very talented, was also on this episode. I'm so afraid of leaving somebody out now. Kimberly Houston was on. And I personally have worked with our mutual friend, Danielle Wall. Yeah. Some really talented folks. And we'll make sure we linked all those people. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about the 40-40-20 rule. And I feel like there was another... Well, there's RFM. Do you want me to talk about RFM a little yeah, bit? Yeah. I, f- I forget what that stands for. Okay. <laughs> Just give it to me. So this will be good for you. So RFM is, is what you were talking about before about segmenting your list. RFM is... Oh, I just remembered. Wait, can I, can I tell you? Yeah, so I can go be ahead. a good student. That's recency. Yes. 
Okay, go ahead. <laughs> RFM it. stands for recency, frequency, and monetary value. Yes. Now, that is not only a direct marketing rule of thumb, it's actually behavioral, it's human nature. And what, yes. it, says, what it says, and this goes hand in hand with the 40-40-20 rule, because when you're doing lists- Pay attention, artists, because I'm going to explain what this means to you in a minute, but go ahead, Brian. I'm going to try go to ahead. make it, I can explain it to them, but you'll be able to do it better. Just explain it to me. All right, I'll explain it to you, <laughs> and you'll, and you'll do the translation. Exactly. So, so you've got the 40-40-20 rule and the 41-39-20 rule. 41 is the list. And as you said, there are people on that list are buyers. There are people on that list that are multiple buyers. There are people on that list that never bought a thing from you. There are people on that list that bought and returned something. All kinds of combinations. So a simple thing with recency, frequency, and monetary value is that the more recent someone responded or bought from you, the more valuable that name is. The more frequently they buy from you, the more valuable that name is. The more money they spend with you in total, the more valuable that name is. Now put the three together. Someone who bought in the last month, who bought three times from you in the last year, and the total dollar amount is huge, that is someone that deserves way different treatment than someone who's a prospect. That's the, the extremes. And everything is in between. And yeah. that's why single messaging to one big list, even in the art, I mean, you have a list of 100 people on your list that have been curated. You may have 12 people who bought a major portrait. And you have 19 people who bought a print. And you have a few people who came to a gallery. It's not that tough, especially in email. It's a little bit of a, a manual thing. But when you get names at an art show, it's totally manageable. We're not talking about thousands upon thousands. When people sign up for my mailing list, <laughs> my how regular... Them, how do you get them to give you their, their address? So if you're at an art show, what typically happens, either they make a purchase and then, you, of course, you add them to that list as a collector, right? But if they don't, they may say to you, do you have a card? And that is when I say, would you like me to add you to my mailing list so I can invite you to my next show? And they will either say yes or no. If they say no, it's because they really didn't mean it in the first place with, can I have your card? They were just going right. to be polite and get, and get away from you. But most of the time they will say yes. And so those people then I do add as, like you said, a prospect. Now what happens is you're going to accumulate over time, if you're doing enough arches, hundreds of these names. So when I went to invite people to the show I had in the park, I'm not going to invite all 900 people who have ever signed up to receive something from me. I'm going to look at that, I can either sort it through my database and like say, okay, I'm only going to print out names of all the collectors, or I'm going to print out people I met at that same show last year. And I will basically curate it based on like you said, are they a prospect from somebody who maybe signed up five years ago and then never bought from me? I'm not going to waste my stamp on them. You said something really important that I think I have to translate. You have to make sure when you get the name that all of that data is on that record. Correct. So we call that ticks on a file. So we had millions of names at Boardroom. I had a 9 million name database. Every person, it was a tick on their file for everything they did, even responding and not paying, even buying and returning, even buying three times. And every time they get ticked on the file, if you have a tiny list, you can do it by hand. But if you've got a list that's as big as yours, 
you need a, what, what system do you use? To- uh, you know, I have several systems because I have the system for tracking my online class people. That's that I have to absolutely have that completely automated to figure out. But it's still the same thing. You can keep track of who's bought classes. And when I did that mailing before where I sent it out to 100 people, I basically figure out who bought a class that was aligned with my new offer. An offer doesn't get better than that. Right. So who basically should want this, who I would be doing a disservice to if I didn't let them know that I had this new thing that they would- Your moral responsibility. Absolutely. Exactly. (laughs) So we don't- It's like a real salesman, right? Right. So we don't sound like marketing sociopaths. For the artists, I use Artwork Archive. So basically to add somebody to your email list, you have to have their permission and what they can opt out of that. But for Artwork Archive, and you can use any database, that's just the one that I choose to use. So I keep track of those things, like the emails, their physical mailing addresses. If somebody's collected from you, you can send them something in the regular mail. They don't have to give you their permission. You can send them a one-to-one message even in the in the email as well. You just can't send them a bulk email message right. if they haven't. And, and the beauty of the beauty of just so you know as everybody knows, this is really important and it's obvious to us, but let's make sure everybody knows. Direct mail is an opt out medium. Email is an opt in medium. So in direct mail, if someone gives you their mailing address, postal address, you can mail them immediately. The US Postal Service is kinder and gentler than Gmail. It's kinder and gentler than Yahoo. Whereas an email, if you start spamming people that didn't give you permission, that's where you can get into trouble. The first bite at the apple in email is very doable if you do it the way you're talking about, where people gave you like a verbal permission. They said, send that to me in email. You send it to them in email, but always give them a a way to unsubscribe so you never get accused of spamming them. They won't accuse you because they asked for it. You play by the rules. There's so many beauties of direct mail if you can get into it because direct mail, if you do a bigger mailing, you can actually credit screen on the front end. This was for big subscription offers, but I used to have a bad debt file to not mail people who had bad debt at other people. And it was a database that you ran in the, they call it the merge purge. You run that. And so you're protecting yourself. Whereas an email, not a lot of protection on that. But then again, you're not getting the same attention and response rates either. And you're not spending as much. Chapter three of my book is How Paying Postage Made Me a Better Marketer. And I'd say there's one big thing, and it's the discipline that I learned in direct mail that I couldn't do anything that was going to just lose me a ton of money. I had to be so precise in everything I did. Whereas an email, which is cheap, you know, people will say, I'll throw an email out there. I'll sell a bunch of stuff. If nobody buys, it's no big deal. Oh, well, there is a big deal because every time you mail to somebody, it's an offer that's not related to another offer, that it's an affiliate offer from someone, somebody who the audience would never expect you to be promoting. You know how many people you turn off and you don't even know it? You'll see it in your open rates. You'll see it in your, in all those other things. But the idea that everything, everything you send might not have to sell something, but everything you send has to achieve something. And it has to mean something to them. So that, to that's, that's why I actually I won't do summits anymore. Like I realized, right. you know, I, I, want, I love you and I want to help you, but my audience doesn't want to hear about that from me. Right, right, right. You're, right. They, might, they might want to hear about it from 
somebody else, but not for me. So I don't do affiliates at all. And I, I, if it's something that I want to promote that I really, like it's a copywriter seminar and it's a friend of mine, I just do it. I get an affiliate link. If I make any money on it, I either give it to charity. I don't want to make any money on any affiliate deal. And I've been pure to that for, you know, the five years that I've had my list because it's not part of my model. And I call that the toll booth model because you can do it with integrity and you can always do it if the offers are good and all that, but you're going to go beyond it. You're going to go sell something that is just for the money. And at some point it's going to be, be I don't know what the line is. The line is different for everybody else, but you're going to go beyond that line. And so I don't go beyond that line. I just don't keep any of the money anytime, but I would never go beyond the line because it's only stuff that relates to direct marketing education and things like that. Just a quick little sideline. In direct mail, it was always RFM, recency, frequency, monetary value, because everything you sent in the mail kind of had to sell something because you can't afford to just send stuff out with content. That's where email comes in. But email, that means that the monetary value is not the only criteria. It's RFT, and the T is time. The amount of time someone spends with you and interacts with you, that needs to be watched and added to the tick on the file because they might be recent. Now, some people are just a pain. So they're just like writing to you every time. And I have those people on my list, but there are people on my list that I can tell that one day in the not too distant future, they're either going to buy a book for me. They're going to join my low-end mastermind. They're going to join my high-end mastermind. If I have the time to just engage with them a little bit, then I make a note that that wasn't an RFM. It was an RFT. And I watch it. You know, if someone's doing it every single month and they're not going to do anything, you know, I try to like get out of it gracefully. But there are a lot of people that just want to be heard. They just want to interact with you. And that's valuable in the world of email. You can't underestimate how cool people think artists are who maybe don't do that. Like they want to be a part of that. So they want a piece of that. That's why they buy our art. They want a piece of that coolness. People, they get my Sunday blog, which goes out of an email system and they email me and they don't expect me to respond. And I respond and they go, this isn't Brian Kurtz, is it? I I don't even, I don't think of myself like that. I'm, I'm really famous in a niche that's this big, you know? (laughs) That Uh, happens to me too. Sometimes like if I do customer service, like over the holiday weekend and they don't even think it's me. So it's like, why'd I waste my time? You know, they didn't even know it was me. Oh, Um, I make sure they know it's me. um, (laughs) Oh, I totally, because if I'm going to do it. It says Miriam, but they don't really think it's me. They're like. They think it's an auto, an auto responder. Right. Like a bot or something. I don't know. Yeah. No, I make sure that I put something in the email that shows that it's for them and it's from me. Perfect. Some, some people might not see it, but you know, right. but that's the RFT component and you have to be careful with it. I get carried away. I sometimes am at my computer for like, you know, hours and hours doing stuff like that. But you know what? And this will sound crazy, but it's also, it's a real connection to your tribe. And there's a lot to say about that. Now, some people don't want to deal with it. They're introverts or they're, not interested in, in interacting with their, I, I say list, I'm going to say with your online family is what I say. And if you're interacting with them on a regular basis, I'm not doing it to make money. I will make money because I do it, but I'm not doing it to make money. I'll be straight with you. In, in April, I had a stroke. I almost died in April. Yeah. I, I had that on my list to ask you. I was like, you were just so passionate about everything. I was like, I don't know if we're going to get to that. Yeah. No, how are you doing? In, it works in here. I'm doing fine. It work, but it works in here because 
before my stroke, I was the same way, you know, and the fact that I've gotten another lease on my life, I got to keep doing this because it jazzes me. It jazzes me to interact with you. It jazzes me to interact with my tribe. I don't know what I'm going to learn any single day in those interactions, but sitting at my computer, just looking at numbers and not being in the game doesn't seem like it makes sense. A lot of people in the online marketing space who consider themselves gurus and people with books and all that stuff, they get to a certain point and it's like, I I can't deal with any of it. Now, some of them have too big, you know, Tony Robbins is never going to be able to interact with all of the people that email. I'm really famous in this niche. I mean, I'm, I'm making a very, very narrow line here. But if I can touch more people, that's what it's all about. I want to encourage everybody to get their hands on Over Deliver. It's $17 for Cornell. <laughs> Come on. Best $17 I spent in a long time. You're going to get a lot of the wisdom that we talked about. I'm listening today, hopefully, that will give you a great overview and you can dial into the details. Plus, there is a bonus. So if you go to overdeliverbook.com, tells you to go buy the book on any plate. You can buy it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Books. You go out on another window, buy the book, come back to the site, put your order number in. It's not that complicated. Download this, this site. So there are 11 huge bonuses. So one of them is probably the best book ever written on direct mail by Dick Benson. It's a full PDF of the entire book. That's one of 11. There's another bonus that is a swipe file. I love swipe files. I create my own swipe files. Kind of like what you described in the book. Basically, I'm subscribed to everything. I have one email that I use just for all these things. And I No, but I should. You're right. Do you get art news? Do you get art and antique? Do you get Yeah. Do you get a fine art connoisseur? I I, you know what? this is now added to my to-do list. I'm definitely going to do that. No, just, just take a subscription and change your name on each one. And then you'll get all the mail that rent that list and you'll get so much in your category. Got it. But wait, why a different name for each one? So that way you're a unique so person? If you have fine art showman, and you can use anything you want, art and <laughs> antique showman, anytime those lists get used, you'll know that they rented those lists. Oh, got it. That's beautiful. Okay, I got it. I had Playboy magazine. It was Pablo. Cain. That was my favorite. <laughs> the articles. But, the articles. Okay, but let's talk about the swipe thing. One of my favorite things to do is to take something that has nothing to do with art and like use their subject line. So I've done this with like Kate Spade and anthropology, and I will use their marketing kind of like a, as a template for my own marketing. That's so smart. Stealing is a felony. Stealing smart is an art. Yeah, you got to steal like an artist. Steal like an artist. Exactly. Yeah. And it's amazing that every industry that has like mastermind groups, there's mastermind groups for lawyers. There's mastermind groups for carpet cleaners. There's mastermind groups for HVAC guys. And I have my own mastermind group, people. It's called the Artist Incubator. Let's make sure. Yeah. Forget my book. Just just (laughs) mastermind. The beauty of swipes is that you can take an approach or a copy platform and plug into your business. 
always accumulate that. It's, it's basically like Mad Libs. So if anyone's ever played Mad Libs yeah. and you just, so you basically take whatever it is that you find intriguing and you change it to, it doesn't mean you're taking somebody else's story and pretending that it's your story. If you found an email that somebody wrote, like we mentioned Laura Belgray earlier, she's really great at this, or Marie Forleo is another one who's really amazing. great. Amazing. amazing. Yeah. So, for example, Marie Forleo had told a story about how she was auditioning as a dancer and how and getting over that fear and blah, blah, blah. So I said, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to take a story where I had to ride a horse to get to see George O'Keefe's ranch out in, where is it, New Mexico, and how scared I felt and how I overcame that fear. And so both stories were kind of parallel stories about overcoming the fear to take a big step. Marie would say, take a big step to create, I guess it was to create an online business and join her program. Right, right, right. I'm an affiliate for, so I'm not going to mention it here. Or or in my, I took the story, it's like, okay, and now you can do that scary thing, whether that's learn, and I forget how I use it, like learning how to paint a portrait. So, but that's how you use, you can use a swipe file, either use it as exactly as is with a Mad Lib, or you just take it as like, okay, here's a great idea. And how can I personalize it and make it my own? Great job. You you did a better job than I could have, but I'll just say that on overdeliverbook.com, one of the 11 giveaways is a swipe file of like the best direct mail since 1900. Now you say, why would an ad from 1900 be worthwhile to me? Well, take a look at it. It's unbelievable. There's a famous ad that is a famous John Caples ad. It said, they laughed when I sat down at the piano, but when I started to play, couldn't you use that in something? I mean, if people aren't going to know it, but they laugh when I picked up a paintbrush, but when I, when I did my first portrait or something like that. Yeah. And I've used, I use stuff like that too. Sure. <laughs> I have. I mean, that, one's a li- that one's a little too classic, but- <laughs> Because then it becomes cliche too much. So there's a huge swipe file. That's great. I'm getting my hands on it. That's like top of my to-do list for tomorrow. So do you have any last words for my listeners before we call this podcast episode complete? If you're too cheap to buy my book and get (laughs) thousands of dollars worth of swipes and all kinds of stuff, just go to my website, briankurtz.net. There's tons of free stuff there. You'll get on my blog. You know, the kinds of concepts like 404020, RFM, lifetime value, customer service and fulfillment as marketing functions, multi-channel marketing are on the one hand could be seen as advanced, but they are just, they're eternal truths. No matter how big your list is or how small your list is, you can gain so much by learning a lot of this stuff, whether from me or someone else, but know it because all you artists, you, you have so much to offer in the world. And if you're not marketing yourselves, and not using some of these techniques, you're missing out on not only people buying your stuff, but sharing your your vision with the world. So that's, yeah. that's where I leave it. 100%. Because when I interview people from an incubator, there's two things that I hear. One, they want to make a living. If you want to make a living, you got to market. And the other thing I hear is their goal is they want to be just to make it short, famous or recognized. They want recognition. Well, you can't do that without marketing either. Right. So whatever your goal is, you need to know how to market. So thank you so much for being here with me today, Brian. You were prepared. I mean, you, (laughs) you know, I could have interviewed you on marketing, but that's good. (laughs) Well, you're a lot of fun. It's always fun to talk to somebody who's very passionate about what they do. And like I I said, we we come from the same era, neck of the woods. Jersey people who are passionate. Who are not afraid to interrupt each other. 
check out Brian's book. I will link it both in the show notes as well as my book club, shulmanart.com forward slash book club. You can see all the books that I recommend there. And you should also check out what I said about Brian on Amazon. I left him a very nice review there. So also you should, yeah, read the review. I'm talking to the listener, not you. I'm talking to my listeners. they 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 should read the review. And if you like what you hear today, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. That's the easiest way to make sure that you get notified and you get downloaded and you won't miss a single thing. All right, we're going to end it right here. Thank you so much again, Brian, for being with me here today. Thank you, everyone. We will see you same time, same place next week. Make it a great one. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course, on shulmanart.com. If you like this episode, then you have to check out the Artist Incubator. It's my small group program for emerging artists who want to make more money from their art. The program is by application only. To apply, go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz. That's biz as in B-I-Z. If you qualify for a free strategy session, you'll get my eyes on your art business absolutely free. And we'll discuss the steps you need to take to make 2020 your best year ever.